0: Good evening. It is good to see each of you if you're a guest. Thank you so much for being here. If you will, take your Bibles and open to Colossians, the first chapter. We will have slides for a lot of the studies, but if you have your Bible, open up. And we hope that over these next several months, we'll not only grow very familiar with this wonderful writing of Colossians, but that we will love it even deeper. Uh, we are thankful. As we walk through the building, we are reminded of the blessing that we have of so many young people when the young soldiers and young ladies serving Christ, what a blessing that is. And then at this very moment, we have high school age uh, young men that are in Lagardo participating in the circuit riders and they are leading uh, the worship there. And we're thankful for the good that they do. You'll notice on the table uh, out in the foyer uh, that there is a map showing the many places that they will be going this semester of school uh, to the various congregations uh, in the area, but even kind of outside of the area Sunday nights. And we're thankful for Doug Williams and his leadership in that. And we're thankful for parents and grandparents that support it. And we're so thankful for our young men that have a heart uh, to serve God and are willing to use their abilities in such a way as that. We are also Uh, thankful to be able to offer ways to uh, be better stewards. And we'll talk a little bit tonight even about stewardship. And Financial Peace University is a wonderful way to be wise with what God has given you, at least to learn that uh, through finances. And that is going to be offered the 1st of March. And there's a table set up for that, uh, but that is coming up. So be sure and um, look at the table. If you have questions, be sure and ask those questions. And we look forward to seeing the good, uh, that is going to come out of the many conversations that you're having in the four year with deacons. And our hope and our prayer is that all of us are better informed and that those that perhaps have been on kind of on the fringe of thinking maybe I should or should not get involved today and last Sunday our hope and our prayer is that you'll say yes I should get involved and that I want to be a part of that and speaking about involvement tonight we want to study about a man whenever he looked at kingdom work there wasn't a question mark for him about might I do it but for him he approached it in a very mighty fashion he believed that kingdom work was something that he ought to do with all of his heart and so tonight i want to to study in Colossians, the first chapter, and let's look and see what was Paul's approach to this kingdom work. Look, if you will, in Colossians, the first chapter, I'd like for you to notice this next slide, we do not have the entire verses, and so we're not going to read all of the verses here, but I want you to notice uh, how he turns to personal pronouns here, and if you've been studying along together over the past few weeks, uh, even though we haven't done it in order, We have studied many of the verses leading up to this. Not all of them, but many. And if you were here last week, if you have your Bible open, you might drop over to the first chapter. Remember, we studied Paul's approach to them in verse 3, that he gave thanks to them in verse 4, the faith that they had in Jesus Christ, the love that they had for the saints and the hope they have toward heaven. And where did that come from in verse 5? It came from the word, the truth of the gospel. And because of this, in verse 6, they were bearing fruit. They learned this gospel probably from Epaphras in verse 7, who probably learned it. or at least learned it better from Paul while he was over in Asia, in Asia Minor working. And then you notice, and this is what we studied last week even a little more in depth, in verse 9 was his prayer for them. And you remember the very core of that prayer is toward the end of verse 9, that you be filled with the knowledge of his will in wisdom and spiritual understanding. And then the result of that were things that would come out of the lives of individuals that were filled in that way. And then kind of the core, if you will, for why in this series we're studying Colossians is in 13 and 14 is where from this darkness, we are delivered into verse 13, the kingdom of the son of his love. We have redemption in 14, the forgiveness of sins. And then the next several verses are telling about Jesus Christ? Why should we allow him to be king of our lives? Why should we want to be in his kingdom? And even though it would be well worth our time, for tonight's sake, we're not going to do it, but there is at least one or two or sometimes even three characteristics about the king mentioned in verse 15, each of these verses, 15, 16, 17, 18, even down in 19. And what he's doing is he's just exalting the king, Christ, and he's exalting, through exalting the king, the kingdom. And then when he comes to 23, he's saying, if indeed you continue in the faith, grounded and steadfast, and are not moved away from the hope of the gospel. We're going to come back to that in a few minutes. Which you have heard, which was preached to every creature under heaven, of which I, now notice we're getting personal here. I, Paul, became a minister and you see what he's done up to this point? Up to this point, he's talked primarily about them, and he's talked primarily about how they come to know Christ, and then he's talked about Christ, and then he talks about this gospel that is the hope of heaven that was brought to them, and then that's where he breaks loose, and for a few minutes, it's almost like he says, oh, hope of the gospel, that's what my life is about. My life is about ministering the hope of the gospel to the world. And then on this slide here, notice, let's go back a slide and and notice in the, I I just highlighted some personal pronouns in Colossians 1, 24, I now rejoice in my sufferings. And by the way, this isn't all of them. This this is several of them. And 25, of which I became a minister and have given to me for you in 28, Him we preach, that we may present every man perfect. 29, to this end, I also labor, striving according to his working, which works in me mightily. What's the point? The point is we've not had this kind of writing earlier in Colossians. In other words, he's lifted them up and he's praised them for their faith. He's lifted Christ very high. And then he says, let me tell you what moves me in ministry. And for several verses, he just speaks personally about what moves him in ministry. Today, we're thinking about kingdom work. How do we get involved? Why do we get involved? How do we stay involved? How do we keep from burning out? These are things that directly or indirectly Paul addresses in this passage. And so... I'd like for you to notice in Colossians, the first chapter in verse 23, which we just read just a moment ago, notice how he says at the end of Colossians 1 and 23, of which I became, or I'm sorry, he says, of which I, Paul, became a minister. And then in 25, he says it very similarly again, of which I became a minister. To really appreciate what Paul is saying here, you're going to need to not think about the way we generally use this word in the 21st century. If someone walked, a guest walked into the foyer tonight and said to you, hey, I would like to speak to a minister, odds are every one of us, including me, every one of us would look for probably one of four guys here. Because we think, well, we have four guys that are ministers on staff here. They probably want to speak to one of them. Listen, that's not the way Paul is using it. And I'm not saying we're wrong to use it that way. But that is not the way Paul is using the word minister here. The word minister was a very humble word. That sounds bad to say. it is. Oh, we're not humble. That's, that's not what I'm saying. But we usually target it to say, here are our men that as a congregation, we, we have hired We support them financially, their own staff. They dedicate a lot of hours a week. Those are the kind of things that we kind of associate with the word minister today. And what I want you to see is when Paul says, I became a minister, that's not the way the word was used here. The word minister was a very humble servant. In other words, in its root, The lexicons all say that that minister was one that waited tables. And so you think about about that servant that says, there are going to be people coming in to eat here tonight. I better make sure that, that the tables are set. And then while they're there, who's going to go up and say, could I refill that? Could I clean up that mess for you? Is there anything that I can do for you? And then when they leave, who's going to bust the tables? Ministers. That's the word that Paul uses here. Notice he's saying, I became a humble servant to what? Well, back in 23, he says, I became a humble servant to this cause of the gospel being spread to every creature. Mm -hmm. To a lot of you, that ought to be a moment of ding, ding, ding. I recognize that. Listen, I believe that what Paul is doing here I believe that he's referring to the Great Commission. I believe he's literally saying, I remember our task was going to all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. Preach what? The gospel to who? To every creature. And so now Paul says, I I, I want to write to you about this hope of the gospel that was to be taken to every creature. And then it's almost like Paul wakes up and says, that's what I've devoted my life to. I've become a servant. Of doing that, I've become a humble servant to say, I want to give my life to however that needs to be accomplished. And then when we read in 24, he's talking about the church and he comes right out of 24, still talking about the church to say in verse 25, of which I became a minister according to the stewardship. And so again, it's the idea of I have devoted my life to serving in the body of Christ. Why is that important? Well, it's important because then it makes us realize that this is not a passage that is just appropriate to apostles. In other words, words, you say, well, of course, Paul was a great apostle. You expect him to be what? A humble servant? Notice here, he didn't boast of himself saying, I have devoted myself to being an apostle appointed by God himself. He said, I look at my life as is that humble servant. And sometimes he even described himself as a slave. Now think, the servant points to a humble worker. The slave points to a submissive worker. And that's the way Paul viewed himself. The source of his ministry went back to him coming to the Lord and saying, your will be done in my life. So what does that look like lived out? We're not going to develop all of these, but I want you to see a pattern here. Paul recognized that the source of his ministry was not in the fact of, I received a great education. It was because of the parents of which I were born. I just happened to grow up in the right church. I just happened to be at the right place at the right time, and the opportunity just kind of fell in my lap. Listen to when Paul was standing before Agrippa and he was telling about his life of ministry. And notice in Acts, the 26th chapter, and we're going to pick up in verse 16 of Acts, the 26th chapter. And and this is what the Lord said to him, but arise and stand on your feet. Now, this is what the Lord was telling him, for I have appeared to you for this purpose to make you a minister and witness both of the things which you have seen and of the things which I will yet reveal to you. Paul, how did you become a minister? What was your source of ministry? And he would say my source of ministry was all about God and someone says well of course it was for Paul but it's not going to be that way for us. For Paul it was a miraculous intervention almost on on the road to Damascus. But friends, I don't think that's exactly what Paul always had in mind when he referred to the fact that the Lord made him a minister. I think he's, well, let's let him speak for himself. Notice what we see in 1 Timothy, the first chapter. In 1 Timothy, the first chapter in verse 12, and I thank Christ Jesus, our Lord, who has enabled me because he counted me faithful, putting me into ministry. Now, I want you to notice over the next two verses what Paul will oftentimes do when he talks about the Lord putting him into ministry. Although I was formerly a blasphemer, a persecutor, an insolent man, But I obtained mercy, because I did it ignorantly and unbelief, And the grace of our Lord was exceedingly abundant. Paul tells Agrippa, the Lord put me in ministry. Paul tells Timothy, listen, the Lord was the one who put me in ministry. And the only way it happened is God was merciful to me. God was gracious to me. All throughout this Colossians series, we're going to talk about being in the darkness, letting flesh lead our life, or we can be conveyed, we can be delivered into this kingdom underneath the reign of the king. And Paul's saying, I could not have gotten to this place of the kingdom without being delivered by the grace and the mercy. I need to join Paul tonight in saying... If I'm active in kingdom work, the only way I had the opportunity to do kingdom work is by grace and mercy. We can look at another example of it. Look over in 2 Corinthians, the fourth chapter. I love this one. Uh, uh, It's bookend, bookended, if that's a word. In the fourth chapter... In verse one, notice how verse one ends, we do not lose heart. And then you drop down to verse 16 and it begins, therefore we do not lose heart. And if we had time, we could do an entire study about what comes between those bookends. Today, what do we call that? Oftentimes we call it burning out. If you want to look and study, what would Paul say that kept him focused, kept him spiritually uh, alive and juvenated? Here's where, and and tonight we don't have time to develop everything that he says about it, but I'd like for you to notice verse one, fourth chapter in verse one. Therefore, since we have this ministry, as we have received what? Mercy. We do not lose heart. And he continued to write in verse five, and talked about that his ministry was: we do not preach ourselves, but Christ Jesus the Lord, and ourselves, your bond servants, for Jesus' sake. And then the. If, if we had time, we would look at verse 8, 9, and 10. And he talks about all the suffering that he was going through. But he would not give up and he would not give in. And then even says in verse 10 that if we are going to lift up the life of Jesus, don't you love lifting up the resurrected Lord? Because that gives us hope. We too one day can be resurrected. But what he says in 10, and he says it again, in other words in 11, the only way to lift up in your life the resurrected Lord is that you have to be willing to carry the suffering Lord. Let that sink in. You don't get to pick and choose. Oh, I tell you what I love. I love to lift up the resurrected Lord because that's all beautiful. The third day, the tomb was found empty. He says, oh no. If you want to lift up the resurrected Lord, you also have to be willing to carry the sufferings of the crucified Lord. It's deep. And Paul says, whenever I've learned that, it's caused me to not lose heart. When someone says, I just don't think I ought to be suffering like this. We just don't grasp what Christianity is about. Christianity and those of us as kingdom people, the design is for us to participate in the suffering of the Lord as well as the life of the Lord. Paul got it. He understood it. And he said, I don't deserve to be here. The Lord put me into this place where I can do ministry, humble service. It's only by his grace. It's only by his mercy. And wow, he he says it so many times in so many ways. Let's skip the next slide. Let's go back to Colossians, the first chapter. Look at Colossians, the first chapter. I'd like for you to notice verse 25. And I'd like for you for a moment... Uh, kind of switch gears in your mind. We've talked about the source of ministry. Now let's think about how Paul talks about the stewardship of ministry. He's been talking about the church in 24 and the affliction that will suffer in Christ. And then he says in 25, of which I became a minister according to the stewardship from God, which was given to me for you to fulfill the word of God. And so he says, there's this ministry been given to me that I'm supposed to pass it on to you and help you, but you must realize it's been given to me and I'm gonna be held accountable. In other words, it's given to me as a stewardship. And that may sound a little bit like strange language to you. It's been given to you as a stewardship, but it is the idea that it's not mine, but I'm gonna be held accountable for how I use it. One day the Lord is going to come back and say, Paul, I gave you a ministry. How did you use that ministry to help the people around you? Now, for Paul's ministry, a part of his ministry was being an apostle. A part of his ministry was being a missionary and a preacher. A part of it was being a writer. He'll answer for how he did in stewardship. I want to ask you, what's your ministry? God's given you ability He's given you opportunities you can look all around it is in a church family but you can also look around in your physical family you can look around at your school at your workplace the lord covers us up with opportunities he's given you abilities he's given you opportunities these things become a part of the stewardship that the lord places in your life and so then the question is do we look at it that way you know if someone brought you something very valuable and they said would you care for this, for me. I'm going to be away for six months. Will you take care of it? We understand that. We grasp it. Okay, I I need to treat this as if it were mine and make sure that it is in as good of a condition, if not better, when this person returns because I am simply holding it. How would you take care of it? Have you ever looked at your ministries that way? An easy way to illustrate it, but please don't make it this narrow. But any of you that teach Bible class, I want you to picture your Bible class in your mind. Do you realize it's not really your Bible class? You realize that is a stewardship that the Lord has placed. It's really the Lord's class. And and are you going to take care of the Lord's class? And if the Lord came back next month, Would you be able to say, Lord, this part of the stewardship that you gave me, I was faithful. I did my best. I I took care of this portion of your kingdom work. Glory be to you. I really tried. Or would our ministries be embarrassing? Would we want to duck our head and not look Jesus in the eyes? As we look at the opportunities that he gave us and the way perhaps we might have shirked them, I want you to look. And again, I almost hesitate to go to this passage because I don't want to make this point all about preaching because many of you here, that's not the ministry that God's given you. But can I show you how Paul viewed his ministry? And then realize that whatever your ministry is, what if we had this, this same thinking? Turn back, if you will, to 1 Corinthians, the ninth chapter. 1 Corinthians, the ninth chapter, I can say to you, uh, this is one of my favorite passages because I am a preacher. And I've tried to allow this to a great degree to be one of the guideposts in my life in preaching. I'm not telling you I've succeeded at it, but I've thought about this a lot. And, and I want you to think about the ministry that you have and, and what about the principles here uh, that, that we'll read about. And by the way, in the ninth chapter is also the discussion about why Paul would not sometimes accept a financial reimbursement for his preaching while he was in Corinth. And he says that he had the right to do that, but the reason he chose not to do that in Corinth was apparently there were false apostles that were financially taking advantage of people. And so he was afraid that if he took finances, Uh, reimbursement from from those that he preached in Corinth that he would be mistaken as a false apostle. And so part of the language here in this, we're not going to try to uh, decipher all of it, but the parts of this that you say, I wonder what that is. It's probably dealing with what I just said. But I want you to notice the other principles for this particular study as we think about principles of stewardship. In 1 Corinthians 9 and 16, he says, for if I preach the gospel, I have nothing to to boast of, for necessity is laid upon me. Yes, woe is me if I do not preach the gospel. Do you see what Paul is saying there? Someone could, could, you know, buddy up with Paul and say, Paul, you, you, you are amazing. You, look, look at what you do in preaching. We can open a map and look at all the places you've preached and look at the difference you've made in the kingdom. Look at the difference you've made in the world. You know what Paul would say? That's nothing to boast of. You use your gift. I use my gift, Paul would say. And then Paul brings some of the old Hebrew language from back in the Old Testament. Isaiah and some of them used it so well in their writing. And he brought out, whoa. It's not only the idea of stop, but it's the idea of grief and of curses. What if... God has given me the ability to preach. He's given me the opportunity to preach. Woe to me if I do not preach the gospel. So in other words, someone might say, Paul, are you going to boast about the fact that you're preaching the gospel? He'd say, boast? Necessity's laid upon me. Let me tell you what I'd be concerned about. My concern is not, can I boast in what I'm doing? My concern is, what if I didn't do what God expected me to do? That's how Paul looked at stewardship. Now think about this burnout factor. You see how for Paul, it was never about him. It was always about the Lord. It's not easy. We're human, we're fleshly. To some degree, we do have to take care of ourselves, uh, And then there's that balance. How do I take care of myself, but yet my ministry doesn't become about me? I hope our deacons have figured that out. I hope you're praying about that. I hope that that you see the ministry that God has given you as stewardship. But then I hope every member here has has places in which you have committed to serve so that that you too have a stewardship of ministry and that you're committed to do that. look at the rest of verse 17 there in 1 Corinthians 9. For I do this willingly, I have a reward. But if against my will, I have been entrusted with a stewardship. Very same language that he says in Colossians. And notice he says, I have been entrusted. The idea of entrusted is to be able to say, here is something of value. I'm going to deposit it in your keeping. See, that alone describes stewardship. But he goes ahead and says that that I have been entrusted with a stewardship. How would you take care of it? You know, the other night, Tracy and I, were, we were eating supper with uh, a gentleman. Very, very humble. But you know how when you talk to somebody long enough and you kind of seek out their interest and eventually it came out that his interest was planes and automobiles. I trailed a little bit of the planes, learned a lot. Then I trailed a little bit of the automobiles and I found out what he really likes. I saw the back of his phone. He loves Ferraris. And so then he showed me a picture of his brand new yellow Ferrari. I talked with him a little bit more about how fast it would go and I found out it wasn't that one that he's taking to top speed, it was his two racing ones that he owns that he's taking to top speeds. And then I talked to him a little bit more and I found out that he doesn't have a street model of the racing that's exactly his street model of the racing one unlike the other three he owns is a convertible. Now, he didn't say it in all those simple terms but just filling in between the lines. Tracy and I walked out to our little Yaris after we were uh, (laughs) leaving that. And I I, I said to her, I said, did I pick up on that conversation right? He was was a prince of a gentleman. He really was. Uh, And I said, did I pick up on that conversation right? I think in all that dialogue we had, he owns four Ferraris, except he never said that's all he owns. She's like, yeah, I I think it was at least four. Now, what if he drops one of them off at your house? Hey, I want you to take care of one of these for six months. You gonna pull a Justin Bieber, <laughs> or are you gonna are you going to really take care of it? The reason I bring that up is, I, you know, I don't know if those automobiles are two hundred thousand, quarter million. I, I don't know what a racing Ferrari costs. But here's the thing. When we talk about something like that, all of a sudden we start to get a sense of worth. And we're like, whoa. Yeah, if somebody asked me to take care of something like that, I I would go all out to take care of something like that. Brethren, whatever the Lord has placed in your life, and I'm using Paul's terms as he's inspired by the Holy Spirit, Paul calls it by inspiration of the Holy Spirit, a stewardship. Whatever God has placed in your life as a stewardship, it's more valuable than a Ferrari. It's more valuable than four or five of them. It's more valuable than anything that money could buy. And I ask you again, how are you taking care of it? I hope that it would mean more to us than any earthly possession. Because those things come and they go. They're new and they're rusted out and corroded. But when we're talking about the Lord's work, it invests in eternity, it invests in souls, it invests in the only work that really matters. And I'm not suggesting to you that the only work of kingdom work is is right here among our our 50 or 60 ministries we have, although those are beautiful parts of kingdom work. But listen, when you and I go to our homes, that is so important, kingdom work. How valuable is that work? The, The influence that God gives us in our workplaces. That's kingdom work. How well are we doing with that stewardship? And the friends that you've had, some of them since kindergarten, and another of them are new friends since last year. But those friendships should be a part of kingdom work. And it really just helps things unfold when Paul says, Now think about this, where we've been tonight. Paul says, Let me talk to you about the source of my ministry, it's all from God. I couldn't be in ministry if it weren't for God. God's the one who has enabled me. God's the one who has put me here. It's only by God's grace. It's only by His mercy. I didn't deserve this. I didn't work hard enough that all of a sudden, I arrived in it. It's all by God's doings that I'm here. But then Paul flips that same coin over and he says, but you better believe that even though it was given to me, I take it Very serious. It's of great worth to me. What could a congregation of about a thousand people do if everybody realized you didn't get there alone? It's like the turtle on the fence post. Somebody put you there. If you're saved tonight, You didn't climb up on that fence post alone. The Lord put you there. But while you're there, what are you going to do with it? And the Lord says, I put you in the kingdom because I have a great, great work for you. And all of our works, to some degree, will probably look a little bit different. It's the body illustration of 1 Corinthians 12. Tonight, I wanna close, we're gonna skip a lot of slides, and I just wanna read the last verse of what Paul said in 29. To this end, I also labor. And that word labor deals with hard work to the point of sweating and exhaustion. That's what that word labor means. So now think about what Paul is saying here about this work that he does, this stewardship. He says to this end, I also labor. And then he uses another strong word, striving. It's the idea of I'm giving every ounce of my energy. I'm not moping around. I'm not casually. I am striving. And then notice he switches over, striving according to his working. So now he lays down a parallel. In other words, he says, here's what I'm doing. I'm laboring, I'm striving, and I'm doing it according to his work. What was his work? He gave his all, literally. The night before he died, he went to the garden and he yelled out, the Hebrew writer says, vehement cries. He was laboring. How was he sweating in the garden? As if it were great drops of blood. He was laying it all on the line and the next day he did. He laid it all on the line as he died on the cross for us. And Paul looks at this and he says, I wanna tell you how hard I work and how hard I strive because I have seen the master. I'm following the lead of the one I love. And because of that, he can say, according to his working, which works in me mightily. I know his power. And I have seen the work he can do in me. And it's not a little work. It is a mighty work that God can do in me. You won't know that. You listening? You will never know that until you completely lay your life down at Jesus' feet. When you see what Jesus can do in your life, we see the might. We can try family life without Jesus, and we can try family life with Jesus, and it's no comparison. You can try being a good person without Jesus and you can try being a good person with Jesus. It's no comparison. You can say, I want to be a generous person without Jesus. You try being a generous person with Jesus. Over and over, what we learn as we live the Christian life and as we truly lay it all down and we live in his kingdom is we realize that when Christ works, he works in a mighty way. And tonight, if you've never seen that, that breaks my heart. Because you've missed what real living is all about. Come to me, all you that labor and are heavy laden, and I'll give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. for My yoke is easy and my burden is light. You see, when we're laboring without the Lord, we're laboring in vain. When we're laboring with the Lord, a yoke is made up of two. When we are laboring with the Lord, we yoke up with the Lord and tremendous things are done. Not because of us, but because of the one of which we have yoked. We strive We labor, but we labor with. Tonight, that's the question. Are you laboring alone or laboring with?